Welcome to Keeping Curious, the podcast that explores creative living through conversations with artists, designers and anyone in between. So if you're just starting out, feeling stuck or a little lonely in the studio, I'm here to keep you company and keep you curious. This week's episode is a conversation with the band A Different Thread. The intro we just played was the first 30 seconds of The Cherry Tree, which is my favourite single from their EP. I'll put the full track at the end of this episode. I met Rob in art college, um, so it's been really interesting to find out his journey from art to music. Um, I think that historically that seems to be quite a traditional path. There's quite a lot of musicians that come out of art schools, so it was interesting to see the crossovers of different artistic practices. So whether you're interested in music or whether you are interested in collaborative processes, I think that there's definitely something for everyone in this episode, so I hope you enjoy it. Okay, well we might as well just dive straight in. So I'm currently in the living room of Isaac, which was the study of Samuel Johnson. That's right, yeah. When he wrote the dictionary, which is pretty quite cool. Um and I just wanted to, I went to college with Rob 10 years ago. So this episode will be more about a reminisce of the journey from art school to music and how the creative transitions change. But also I want to find out more about your band and how you collaborate creatively together as well. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 10 years. <laughs> yeah, 10 years. So maybe we'll start there. So when I met you, you were very passionately into illustration and right. kind of comic strip art. That's right, yeah. What's happened in between <laughs> that? Was that something that you always wanted to go into or mm. was that something you were just exploring at that time? It's something that I had always had interest in and my mother, being quite artistic, had said, why don't you try this, you know? There was never any pressure there, but it was a suggestion. So I decided to study at, at Litchfield, which is where we met. Yeah. Then I went on to do a three-year course in Bristol at the University of the West of England. After starting my degree, I started to realise that illustration, although I was passionate about it, it was quite a lonely game. And there was a lot of time spent indoors on my own, drawing and locked away. And I really relished and thrived from the group activities with all the other people on my course. But ultimately, it always came down to knuckling down on your own in solitude and bashing out a piece. Yep. Um, <laughs> and so I decided to start busking instead of that. <clears throat> kind of juggle the two. So when we were in college together, were you playing guitar at all? Yeah, just, just a little bit. It was a hobby then. Yes. You know, since I was about uh, 12... 11 years old, I guess it's been a hobby. Mm. And then when I finished my degree, I was filled with this sense of freedom and not having deadlines to meet meant that I could focus on my songwriting and I started playing open mic circuit around Bristol. I started to meet musicians and people told me that they enjoyed my songs. So I started writing more and then I fell into this group of musicians who I met through a cousin, my cousin's boyfriend's brother, um, played drums and we had this jam and he said, you've got to meet my brother and we've got to play together. So we did this recording session the first time I was in the studio 
And we met on the Friday, and we rehearsed the songs on the Saturday, and we recorded on the Sunday, and we got three tracks out of it. And I probably took that more seriously than I did my whole three-year degree. <laughs> Money well spent. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was free, actually, the, oh, okay. the studio. Oh, the, 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 the degree <laughs> We're not in those times anymore. Stupid uh, than mine. It's true. <clears throat> um, since then, I guess, yeah, I've been playing and writing as much as I can. And uh, it led me to travel. And I realised that playing music in the street was something I could do pretty much anywhere in Europe. Yeah. Um, or anywhere I could get to imminently, you know, and it, it would work as long as it wasn't too rainy or too cold. I mean, it has to be really cold. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you've got a guitar, a very hardy guitar. Yeah, I suppose violin's a bit more tricky when it's cold. Yeah, violins and cellos are a little yeah. more... We'll get onto that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So when did you meet this current formation of band? So I met Isaac first. This was just over two years ago now. Yeah. And yeah. I was, I'd just come back from travelling America and I was walking down... Litchfield High Street, thinking to myself, when am I ever going to find that cellist that I've always been wanting to play with? <laughs> and then I just hear this cello, and uh, Isaac's there busking. And so I walk over and say, hey, do you want to play? And we played one of my tunes, I think, Strong Instinct. I think straight off, you played one of your tunes, didn't you? And, and uh, someone challenged. took a video, Yeah. the the Big yeah. Issue cello. Oh, uh, yeah. Dave, Dave. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, <laughs> and then we started playing shows as a duo <clears throat> and then um, I was over in Ireland about six months later with uh, with another guy another songwriter doing a tour of just the two of us and in Galway Alicia was busking on the street and I walked past and said oh you walked past me yeah well he'd walked past earlier and waved and I hadn't set up yet um, and just like was putting my case down so he didn't see what instrument I had and when I walked up the street later he was still busking and um, asked if I had a violin and I didn't at the time I had a ukulele um, but then he asked if I sang and I said yes and so then we kind of did that banter of like do you know this song do you know this song <laughs> and like honing in on oh, okay and so we sang Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell. Mitchell and then we sang for like two hours and we were singing some of your songs. I didn't even know they were your songs. Mm. I was just singing along in the chorus or finding a way to harmonize. Alicia has this amazing <laughs> ability to learn a song before it's finished. <laughs> <laughs> I think that classes as writing a song. <laughs> well, I, I, like I sing along to the, to the radio and Robert's like, oh, you know this song? I'm like, no, I just predicted what he was going to say next because... There aren't that many options. Sorry, that's getting yeah. easier and easier now. <laughs> also, yeah. yeah. yeah it's really yeah. easy in country. Yes. Yeah. That's why country country <laughs> keeps me up at night. If I have a long drive, I listen to country because I you have just enough brain power to sing along to songs you don't know. To keep you awake. To keep you awake. Yeah. So both of those instruments are quite rare to see busking, I'd say. You tend yeah. to see a lot more guitars than you do yeah. cello yeah. or the ukulele. Um, so what was your journey to that point? What, did you always want to play cello? Um, did you have a yeah. different passion? Or No, I had, I had two passions when I was a child and I started piano when I was nine 
and wanted to learn cello because the cool kid in the class played cello. And um, my always mom, the best reason yeah, to yeah, do anything. Yeah, yeah. Isaac's the cool kid. Genuine. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I wasn't learning at all. Mum saw straight through that, and then she said, "If you, if you still want to learn cello after a year, then you have cello lessons." And it stuck in my head for whatever reason. Probably still wanted to be cool when I was ten. But um, yeah, so I started learning, and uh, it was a toss-up between mountain biking actually and music. And biking went wrong at the age of nineteen. Right. Um, so music sort of became the main thing, but it had been going. So, yeah, from the age of nine. You do a mean bunny hop still. I do a mean bunny hop. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know, unfortunately, I can't trust myself to get on a bike because if it goes quiet. wrong, then I'm absolutely screwed. Yeah, um, yeah they, can't, they don't really go hand in hand because no, you need your hands. Hands being the key, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then I went through, I was, I went through a further education, a music degree in Manchester and Birmingham. Um, and actually, same as you, Rob, when, when I finished my degree. First of all, I was surprised that I'd finished it because I think deep down I just messed about and didn't ever think I would actually get a degree. Mm. But um, yeah, I got a degree and then went, oh wow, I can do something other than constant classical and orchestral stuff, which I do enjoy. But it was intense, right? It's, it's, it, yeah, it is intense. And very often the characters that you come across within classical music can be intense in not a sort of productive way mm. um, so that you get that all over the world do you find um, that in that tradition it's quite regimented like you cannot yes, try yeah. and go in a different direction because that is how it has to be played and it's yes and specifically during your degree you're led to believe that you can either be an orchestral player a soloist or a teacher and that's it that's your three, three choices uh-huh. and then you finish your, de- your degree and you go huh I can actually play this sort of music this sort of music this x y and z mm. um which, yeah, at the time, you're not encouraged to do, which is a shame. But I think it is a shame, but I think it's quite amazing that you came out of your degree thinking that there were other, were other options, so there were... I, think I, was, I was so desperate to look for other options. <laughs> by the time I I'll finished. find it somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, you yeah sorry, sorry you, you were saying to me um, the other day you, you had to work in a cafe for a while just to do something yeah, different, yeah. just to get yeah. that variety I did. In there. For, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, for the first year, I finished my degree and assumed I would be employable because I had a degree. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, in music, I think most things is that's not the case. You have to be proactive. You have to put yourself in the right places, and I didn't. So I went, oh my god, what do I do? And yeah, I ran a coffee shop for a year. You also worked in like um, hospitality for a while, didn't you? Yeah, I worked in coffee shops. Yeah, I um, did too. You know, for years, bars, did lots yeah. of bars in Birmingham and Manchester. Yeah. But you yeah. always need it to fuel your passion in what yes. you want. Yeah. So what was your journey? Well, um, it gets complicated. <laughs> I, I did grow up playing some, so now I play the violin. I also st- I still play the ukulele, um, but in the band I've been playing the violin and the drums and singing. I've sung my whole life, um, and but not like, I had some singing lessons at one point in a group and I had, uh, was in musicals and stuff when I was a kid, just in a little children's theater. Um, and I played some classical violin for a stretch of years when I was growing up um, and I felt very much like um, a little just piece of the like jigsaw puzzle of the orchestra where you have to do exactly what you're yeah. told and fit and just and you can't like sound different or you know everyone even in the beginning when we're all tuning together and I remember I was as young as I was three when I started playing and so I was as young as eight I think when I was in an orchestra 
Mm. Um, it was a children's orchestra. Um, we sounded all right, I think. Um, but you're aware that like the audience, half the audience is asleep um, because that's the crowd that comes out to see um, yeah. children's orchestras, I guess. <laughs> it's a, a very forgiving older crowd that falls asleep. Um, but it's very strange to be part of that environment where I didn't feel like I was playing music for me. I didn't feel like I had any sort of choice in like what kind of music I was playing. It's just being assigned to me at such a young age. Um, was there a parental influence there? No, it was again the cool kid. It wasn't the cool kid though. It was, <laughs> it was the man who lived cool the kid. man who lived downstairs when I was when I was living in New York when I was two, um, not even two. I, but I have memories of him, um, and he played violin. He didn't really. I don't think I ever heard him play classical music, but I had it in my head that I wanted to play violin, and my older brother did too. And he started playing first, and then my older brother and Paul from the basement both played violin, so I wanted to play violin too. And when I was 13, I took a fiddle course in the summer, just a week-long summer camp. And then it came time to take my classical one-on-one -on -one lessons with this very intimidating and impressive woman, um, Mrs. Kitchen. And um, I freaked out and I quit and my mom made me go and tell her to her face which was a very intimidating experience for me because <laughs> we'd already signed up for classes but I didn't think in that moment that oh I could try to find a fiddle teacher you know mm -hmm. someone who would play music like that they were so separate in my head and the summer camp had been such a summer camp that I didn't think oh throughout the year maybe there'd be someone who would play this kind of music with me so I never really considered myself a musician and um, I went to college, I studied um, performing arts, as in theater and Is that what voice. you thought you'd go into? No, but it's what I wanted to study. <laughs> I thought I, I also studied um, early childhood education and I thought I would stick to working with kids after college. And I did on and off for a while, but those jobs never paid enough. So then I was also in a cafe and I was also like babysitting and like doing filing paperwork for two different people. No, and, you're just babysitting two musicians. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and then I started being in a band um, and kind of slowly realizing I've been writing songs since I was 11. Actually, no, since I was seven, since I started writing. In my very first journal, there are two songs. One's about ants invading a picnic. The other is about um, my friend Jean what if he moved far, far away? He was like one of my closest friends as a kid. Aww. And he was Jewish, and I knew that. And I didn't have any idea what that really meant. But I was like, I'd be Jewish if he left so that I'd be close to him. <laughs> that was my plan. That was what the song was about. Um, How you wanted to be Jewish for Jean. Yeah, if That's he was far brilliant. away. And now he's really far away. He's in San Francisco, and I'm here. So, I don't know. I'm still an atheist. I was going to say, are you, are you, are you Jewish? No. <laughs> Did live in a basement for a while, though, in New York. I live in a basement yeah. for a while, and now I play the fiddle. So Roberts encouraged me since meeting him. Um, well, actually, I was in Ireland hoping to be with my fiddle and to kind of start my journey of relearning the fiddle. Um, and my friend, who had told me that he'd be able to bring the fiddle over to me because we are going to travel together, didn't manage to do it. Um, and then I met Robert, and I had this kind of moment where I was like, I was supposed to have my fiddle. Like this was supposed to be a fiddle. <laughs> um, and then I came over to England, and Robert managed to procure a fiddle for me. And so I started 
Well, actually, the fiddle kind of procured itself. <laughs> it just sort of materialised through a friend of ours who said, oh, I've got this fiddle, and uh, really, it's an antique, but I don't play it, so it would be awfully great if you could take it and give it to Alicia. And the thing was battered, isn't it? Yeah, it was and, uh, a little bit of rough shape. The sound post came sound out, post and Robert had out. to... I mean, Robert put it back together amazingly. It took me hours, but um, it was worth it. <laughs> And then I was reunited with my um, violin in Spain a month later. And I'm glad that that was when my journey started like, to really pick up with the fiddle because I was alone walking the Camino de Santiago. And so I could find a place where there was no one else around <laughs> and I could be a beginner violinist again, screeching away on the hillsides of Spain. Sounds good. <laughs> Um, so you mentioned earlier that you write songs, I know Rob writes songs, do you write songs as well? I don't, I'm, I'm a funny one, um, <laughs> I, when I listen to music, whether it's a song or whether it's a piece of, uh, of composition, I tend to be drawn to the melodies and harmonies rather than the words, and these two will tell you that uh, I have weird phrases, weird uh, little sort of things that I'll identify something as, and, and you go, little, what, little. What, 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 what do you mean? When you say, well, well it's, it's this. It's obviously this. And so the way I word the way I word things uh, is quite difficult. And to be fair, if I really concentrated and made effort to write songs, I probably could. I don't know if they would be any mm. good. But um, I'm, I mean, I am primarily a cellist, and I can do other things. But because I've spent so much time and effort on the cello. If I can't do something really, really well, I won't try it. I'll just focus on the main on the main thing. So I can arrange. I'm lucky that I can improvise and play the cello without having music in front of me, which with classical training is often difficult to find. People mm. often struggle, um, and I really enjoy that. But again, I don't compose per se on paper. Um, well, that's what I was trying to work out. Is you've obviously all got very different creative pathways so mm. how do you come about to write a song do you jam and then go oh that's kind of working let's go into this direction or do you have a written song and then you put melody to it or do you have a melody and then you kind of go oh that sounds like it could fit these words I'm always interested how mm. that it's been happens. really fascinating to work with these two because in some ways I feel like I'm a little bit in a middle ground where Robert has approached music from an ear perspective, self-taught. Self mm. Isaac has incredible music theory, you know, can read music, etc. I can read um, treble clef. Okay. Um, I certainly could as a kid. I, I still can. Um, but it's nice if I also hear how a song goes, if I've got music to, you know, if I know the song, it'll be easier for me to, to read it, even if I'm doing a harmony part or whatever. But coming together where I, Isaac and I haven't really played on our own much, like together, mm. but Robert and Isaac had been playing these songs, and then Robert and I had been <coughs> playing these songs without Isaac, and so I was the main, like, filling in the empty bits, and then when the three of us started playing together, it was kind of fitting of like, oh, wait, I missed that part that Alicia used to do now that Isaac's doing the part that he does, but you have to do it only like twice and quieter, and <laughs> and it's kind of just been like, wait, how do the three of us, because a lot of the songs were already on the table, because 
Robert came to this project or invited us to this project with an anthology of his songs. Yeah, we, we had about um, about 10 songs that I considered finished for the EPs that we released. Um, and it was more about sort of fitting these guys into those songs. Mm. They were fairly structured already. Um, some of them had more room than others for you guys to put your own parts in there. Um, but since we recorded and released those, we've been working on new material that, I mean, if it's a newer song anyway, then it's going to be more loose, it's going to be more fluid. And so, you know, we've been able to really work on the songs a bit more as a, as a trio and kind of take them apart as we're writing them kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's the direction I'd like to go in. Yeah. Um, to, to rather than patch, not patching up what's the wrong phrase, <laughs> see what I mean? But <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, um, sort of working with something that's already there and having to fit around it. Sure, um, right. building up from. I mean, still the basis often is is well, actually both of you know because you're bringing quite a few songs to the table as well. Well, even even with the songs <laughs> that we've recorded, um, I didn't. For instance, we were jamming at a festival, you and I, and I didn't know that you were playing Cherry Tree. Mm. And I started playing a lick on the fiddle to what you were playing. A song I'd been writing for the last three years or so. But I didn't, I didn't know, like, I just thought we were jamming and coming up with something, like, together, which we were in a way, but it was also this structure that Robert already had. And then it turns out that my piece fit into that structure. And then he was talking about how he'd been trying to finish this song for five years or whatever. And um, me and his friend Jamie White, and Robert, we got together one afternoon to just be like, we're going to make that last verse happen. Yeah. And we wrote down a bunch of different kind of options and had a conversation together about what it means and where does it need to go and how does... Um, and so that was, in a way, our first collaboration in the band, certainly on the side of writing. Yeah. And I would like to mention Jamie at this point, um, who, I mean, as a creative, sometimes I go through phases of self-doubt and uh, and you know get pretty low and, and question whether what I'm doing is really right for me uh, and that's when I kind of get blocked in writing as well and in those moments I like to turn to my friend Jamie because um, we just bounce ideas off each other in a really positive way and he's an excellent songwriter and he's helped me to write some of the material that we recorded on these EPs and he has songs of his own that I would like to bring to the band as well. Um, and yeah. I think it's really important to have, for me, to have him there so that I can, it, it's like a safety net for me as a mm. creative, because it's scary like when, a, you lose your, when you lose your music mojo, you know? Yeah, and I think, it, yeah, I think it's been really interesting as well because I completely identify with that feeling because I think part of being creative is to be vulnerable and to be open to emotions and to be able to be led by stories. Um, I think everyone needs their kind of cheerleader behind the scenes that kind of amps them up a bit because otherwise you can lose your way quite quickly. Mm. But then I think it's awesome how you guys can then collaborate so you can kind of build up each other's energy. Mm. Um, And I think that a lot of people that go a more artistic creative route is like how you were saying with illustration is you do lock yourself in a room for nine hours a day and not speak to anyone. Mm. So I think that that, vulnerability and to have that but then to bring it to other people that then can feed into it must be quite a good process to 
keep it going to keep that fire going and not go through a week of productivity and then six months of self-doubt and then a week i think it keeps that um momentum yeah it can do another thing that can happen is that like if somebody's feeling like we're never going to make it. It's not going to work. Ah. Yeah. Then, then you're turning to two people who also might be in a place where something has fallen together or not ha- not how they planned or whatever. And then we're all just like, ah. <laughs> and go down the spiral together. And kind of go together. down the spiral together. <laughs> but at its best, at its best, it is. And it has been so much with this particular group, like lifting each other up mm. and, and showing how... Um, how we are stronger together and how when when we practice when we work a song up and we figure out the ending or that middle eight and it really gets tight it just feels so good and already it felt good you know already like jamming unstructured um feels good which is how we tend to start practices it's just like whatever kind of an open jam sometimes it's just like tuning kind of turns into a jam. So how important is the audience in motivating you to make music? If you could only ever make music in this room and no one else would ever hear it, would you still do it? Yeah. Yeah. I personally think it would probably be more loose, like you were saying. For me, it would be more improvisation. Mm. Yeah. I think when it comes to songwriting, I'm always thinking about who's going to hear this. Yeah. You know, I, mm. I very rarely write a song for me. Yeah. I mean, I've just ever since I was little, like before. I I also drew a lot as a kid, and I used to tell my older sister that I wanted to be a drawer when I grew up, um, and then she'd make fun of me for being a drawer. She's like, "You want people to put things inside of you and shut you? <laughs> You're a drawer." Um, but she didn't want her desk in the same room as mine because I would sing to myself like stories about what I was drawing. I don't recall singing the stories, <laughs> but apparently it was like nonstop. Um, and so for me, even just like walking around or if I'm driving or like in the shower, washing dishes, it's just like, I couldn't turn it off. So even if it was like, you can never perform singing again, the songs wouldn't go away. And yeah. I, I don't, they're not for the audience. I don't, they're not really for me. I don't know. They're yeah, just like, just they're different. there. Yeah. And there's no, I don't, at least so far, there's no turning that off. Yeah, they come out in fragments. <clears throat> like, they're not all complete songs. Yeah. But like, just a little melody with some yeah. words is always going to be turning itself through my head. Without being too airy-fairy, I've heard theories where they talk about inspiration and they talk about it in the sense of those people that can wake up from a nap and have a whole book written out and it's kind of grabbing onto that inspiration and getting it out of you and if you don't act on it then it will go to someone else. Mm. When you say that they come to you as fragments, do you think that these songs almost exist outside of you and then you're the channel? Or I don't do know. I don't know about creating. existing outside of me. I used to not trust. There was a long chunk of time where I didn't really write very many songs because if they came out in fragments, I like didn't trust them. It was like either the song comes out as a whole song or it's not a song. And so there were all these fragments and I was like, well, then what are they? And I wrote a lot of them down and I have these word documents. And some of them are kind of jokes and some of them, you know, but none of them are. So I was just like, they're not songs, but they're something. But then if they came out in a whole... I wrote a song 
yesterday, two days ago. Or a song two days ago that just came out like, ding. And I woke up in the middle of the night at Shrewsbury Folk Festival and wrote a song. Because I love those ones where it just comes out of the blue and you just have to kind of get it mm. out of you as soon as possible. The but most satisfying, aren't they? Mm. Sometimes they're a song, like with Potter's Field, which we play as a band. It's one of my songs. And that was a song that like I had the concept of for years. Um, and I always knew I wanted to write that song, but I'd never really tried to take it to paper because it wasn't there. And then suddenly it was. And so it wasn't like I hadn't been thinking about it or, but it had never had a melody and it had never had more than like, I want to write a song about the unnamed people who were buried outside of towns in the U S way back when in these things we called Potter's Field which were most they're mostly thieves and immigrants and you know anyone whose body was found without a name was laid to rest Very there cool with a stone about. sometimes not even a stone and it was also a place where criminals were able to get away with burying bodies mm. and stuff because no one was really checking up on it no and they were it was pretty crazy stuff and some of them some of them are known locations and are like mar are still marked out and they've always it's always been fascinating to me mm. But, uh, so where, where do you get most of your ideas with writing songs? You said that you travelled a lot and you kind of came to this band with quite a few resolved songs. Mm. Yeah, most of those um, most of those ideas come as a melody with a lyric for me. Uh, kind of like hearing a radio through the wall that your neighbour's listening to. Mm. It's not quite tuned in properly. So you can hear a few of the chords from the other station coming together and um, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like seeing a, a dish you know like a casserole you can't quite tell what's in it but you could probably make one that's <coughs> pretty close yeah <laughs> so I like to try and replicate that casserole are you hungry? <laughs> I did skip breakfast. Are you Isaac? Oh, yeah. I was just going to ask if you were Isaac, coming up with sayings and expressions. Yeah, I, I guess a lot of them do start, it's almost as if it's a gift that's just been plonked in my, in my imagination. I don't feel like they come from me most of the time. I think mm. they probably do, but it doesn't feel that way. Because have you heard about the theory of genius? Yeah, yeah that the Roman um, they changed it in the Renaissance the, the concept of genius was something that visited you mm. and that you didn't you weren't a genius you had genius or genius had visited you and it was a collaborative process and then in the Renaissance they changed the definition to be you are a genius and that person mm. is a genius but it, it creates a lot of mental anguish to people that try and aspire to do it because it gave you a get out clause of if it wasn't going so well that oh well they've not come today yeah. mm -hmm. I've not been visited by that that's fine yeah. where when it becomes personified with the person itself mm. and it's not working that's where it all kind of crumbles I feel like that's where we started calling it a muse also. yeah but then another thing I was thinking of um the idea that once one person comes up with the idea it's more likely that even in another part of the world yeah. that mm -hmm. someone else will come yeah. up with the idea. And, and whether that's like a broom or a wheel or, you know, like light bulb. archaic things like yeah. this, or if, it, or I wonder on some level 
if it could be a song as well. I did have a really interesting experience working with my uh, an old band of mine. My friend Matt wrote a song that had some of the some of the lyrics and melody of that um, all of all of me loves all of you song. It was my head's underwater, but I'm breathing fine. Almost the exact same melody, mm. like a year before that song came out. Okay. And then that song came out. And he never really finished that song that had that lyric in it and it like never really came into anything and we were just kind of like oh well and then that song came out and i was like it was everywhere what <laughs> the hell yeah John Legend, isn't it? Yeah. yeah yeah i was like what the hell i know this mm. but, but this then... just got released like it wasn't like matt somehow heard some early version of this guy's song and, you know no, not, not it... to say that my head's underwater and i'm reading fine it's like yeah but Someone else wrote that before either of them, I'm sure. There's only so many combinations of words. That's why I can sing There's only so it. many combinations of notes that yeah. to create anything original is a challenge. And I don't personally think that it should be aspired to because it doesn't necessarily mean that it would sound right. Or <laughs> I think also the everyone... idea that originality is something that's completely different than anything else. Mm. Whereas a slightly different angle, going to somewhere else in the bridge. Yeah. Like, yeah. If different castle. If you're going to make something, then even if you're covering a, a John Legend song, mm. it's never going to sound the same. You're always going to put your own voice into it. And immediately it becomes original for that reason. Mm. But the re- like the reason that so many casseroles are covered in cheese. <laughs> cheese is good. Cheese is good. Cheese is very good. Cheese and there are reasons why so many songs have the same chords. Covered in cheese. Yeah, exactly. Covered in cheese. So we spoke a little bit about how you've supported yourself to the point of being in the band now. Are you all currently full-time in the band travelling around? Are you taking small paid jobs to teaching? or? Yeah, all sorts. All sorts. Anything? For me, for me, I think more so than you guys. You have your festival work in the summer. Well, I went back to the States and I did some work for almost two months and then I came back here. Yeah. Um, because, it's, I don't know, some of it's travel expenses, etc. I'm not, like, doing work. I can't, like, officially work while I'm here. So I need to work in the States and then come here. Um, I was working at some festivals over the summer. Uh, for the last three years I've done this. And it's with a glamping company called okay. Black Dog Teepees. And it's a really small company, but they've got a lot of teepees. And uh, it's mm-hmm. it's good. It's physical work. It's very different from music, and yet it allows me entry into some of the biggest festivals in the UK, where I've managed to get shows. And, context. Yeah, culminating in uh, Alicia and I winning the open mic competition at Shrewsbury Folk Festival this year. Congratulations! If I hadn't have been there building TVs, then we wouldn't have been able to even enter the competition. I think that's a really important point as well. I've just done a fair with my business and some of the best opportunities that have come out have come from talking to the other stall people. I think Mm. people focus on one side of the audience uh, and one way of doing things. And I think it's sometimes the unexpected conversations and kind of trying to see the opportunity in everything that when you took out building teepees you didn't think that you would be then going for a competition right. you don't wait for that competition to be advertised you go right. and go for it you put yourself out there as and much as you can and then what this does is it gets us the opportunity to get tickets to the festival next year and play on the big stage 
mm-hmm. and things like that that come up along the way. I was thinking recently about how even bands that are, because we're currently self-managed and stuff like that, and when you think of bands, especially in the States, that I think there are a lot more like Americana bands in general, but that a lot of them are self-managed or independent label or, or no label, and you think about them as being like self-made, but then if you like pull back the layers, like the way that they're connected to their community, to other bands doing similar stuff, how there is an element of networking um, that you have to do and that you can't put up the walls and be like, we're making this on our own, that it is very much like a community is, I mean, like you were saying, would you still play music if it wasn't for a crowd? Sure. But at the same time, what music can do for a community and what a community can do for music Mm. is really incredible. How have you found um, finding venues because I think that, especially in the UK, the music scene and going, like we've just come back from Nashville and there's music everywhere at all times of the day. And I think there's so few places here that constantly do music. And if they do, they tend to be tribute band. It's not musicians in the sense that you're musicians trying to create something new to put out into the world. Yeah. It's How are you finding it? It's challenging. <coughs> it is. The UK has had music for such a long time and there's so many people doing it here not just covers original stuff Mm. too you know there's an awful lot of musicians here doing what we're doing and our kind of music at least the genre that we have pinned down which is British Americana it's still kind of new here and a lot of people say to us at shows I've never heard music like that you know what do you even call that what is it? What are we listening <laughs> yeah. to? But you, you know, if we were playing in the States, then they'd be like, oh, cool, it's Americana, but there's some two British guys in there, you know? <laughs> and you've got that influence of, of English music too, which we try and put into our music and uh, working hard on singing with an English accent as well. Because um, you haven't got one of those. Right. <laughs> um, I'm working on not singing in a in an English accent. Yeah, but it's you've hard. just got to sing as you are. It's yeah. so hard though. Really, only it's hard on the word can't, because I feel like if I say can't and Robert says can't, and we say it and we sing along, yeah. can't together, then it doesn't. You have to find that middle word. Right. Uh oh. Um, <laughs> Don't. Yeah. Let's not. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> no. Whale. No. Cannot. <laughs> yes. Cannot. Um, but I, yeah, it's yeah. Come on. I think uh, I really noticed this sort of change of attitude when we went to Ireland earlier this year we mm. toured Ireland for nearly two weeks actually yeah and um, the yeah the, the the difference in attitude for people when it comes to music you walk into anywhere really in Ireland <coughs> with a musical instrument on your back and there's immediate <laughs> yeah there's a point there's a point it's immediately in front of you uh, or Beamish yeah this get party um and then you come to England and I just feel it's kind of taken for granted. Mm. And like you said, because there are so many musicians and there's so much music and it's coming out of all these tiny little places and little cities and towns. And I do, yeah, I think in this country we do take it for granted. At the um, same time though, I would say there's an element of, like, I would say there's even more music in Ireland, mm. but it's the yes. attitude towards it that's, that's different yeah, yeah. because they're these tiny towns. Like even if, I mean, sure they're touristy, but we were there before the tourist season picks up. Mm-hmm. Like, 
were there in March and we were in Doolin, which is a touristy town. It's at one of the edges of, of um, the, help me out here. In the Cari <coughs> Peninsula. No, we were in Doolin together. What is the Cliffs of Moher? There we go. The Cliffs of Moher. Um, thank you for your help. <laughs> I knew exactly helpful. what you were talking yeah. about, Alicia. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and there are like four pubs and they all have live music mm. every night. And that's not only during tourist season. I think the music does change. I think almost gets like worse in quality during tourist <laughs> season because they're expecting just, you know, the Irish tunes that they, yeah. that, the, that the Americans want basically. Yeah. Um, but there are so many musicians who live in that area and it's like all the town is, is like four shops and four pubs. And all four of those pubs have live music every night. Yeah, because I, um, I put, you say that there's so many musicians here, and I, I don't doubt you, but personally in my life and my experience, there is not much of an outlet visible. And even when I lived in London, you'd have the big venues, mm -hmm. but I lived on Camden Road, and okay, Camden had a live thing, but there wasn't really much that I could walk to that would have live music. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think part of it is as well that it's, it's quite cutthroat here if you're trying to make money from music. Yeah. yeah. I think that's where the lines get blurred. You know, the bands in, in Doolin, they probably got free Guinness all night. They probably got food. I don't know if they got paid, but... That's probably what they're doing it for. Right. It's, it's I don't know, it seems like... Um, it's almost like they're not in the industry side of it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Which is very appealing. The money side of it, mm. yeah. essentially. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I would say most of the musicians who are playing nightly in... Uh, Doolin are retired from whatever yeah. their job yeah. was before. Yeah. There's also an idea in Ireland that like everyone's a musician. Hmm. My friend Peter has this great story. He opened a bar in Guatemala and that's where I met him. And he was talking about how, um, you know, they're at the pub growing up when he was a teenager at the pub, all the music's happening, live music, then kind of everyone joins in and then they go back to somebody help somebody's house and there's everyone's still playing music and you know he's like I thought I played guitar <laughs> I played guitar for years and then I traveled the world yeah <laughs> and I realized that some people are dedicating their lives to this in a way that when I play guitar it's not that mm. <laughs> it's yeah not it's the same else. in kind of New Orleans with jazz they, it's, they bleed it mm. yeah they really do yeah. and it is in every aspect of their life and, and as you say they're happy doing it for Beer the or joy, the, the joy yeah, of it, and yeah, yeah. they might be bin men in the day, but they right. play every night. And I think yeah. there mm -hmm. is that really shady line between trying to make a living from it, but then how important, as you said, that music is to the community. That why we don't see it as a viable thing that we should pay for, but right. then has the internet had an impact on that because it's affecting all creative industries because everyone expects content for free. Yeah. Mm. They and expect music for free, they expect photographs for free, they expect artwork for free. And the patience is, is getting shorter as well. Mm. So people are struggling to listen to a whole song these days. You yeah. Know? Yeah, yeah. I, I've just been doing yeah. um, some training with Google and they've said that the life, no, the attention span is now <coughs> two seconds longer than a goldfish. Well, that's really depressing. Yeah, so if Eight you want to make an impact, you need Eight to do it in the first seconds. four seconds. Yeah, right. four seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Next music video, no clothes. <laughs> just, just, just grab them like Straight that. Straight in. Yeah. <laughs> Don't even have to play any music. You, you might get a few more seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it is, it's really hard. You're too. reminding me of a quote from uh, uh, Tim Minichin that I heard 
couple of days ago and uh, he said have a dream you know everybody not everybody but it's good to have a dream but ah, don't get so this. blind yeah. that it's all you think about because if you get that dream I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing <laughs> if you get that dream then you got it and then perhaps you'll be staring down an empty tunnel thinking well what next you know and quite often I feel like opportunity knocks very softly you've got to be listening and it'll be in your peripherals and although music is my dream if you want to call it that and we are doing it and I'm having the time of my life I'm fully aware that it may not be what I do forever because it is a challenge and I'm not afraid to switch to something else to be to keep that variety is also key to happiness I feel Mm. and a lot of musicians aren't happy mm. because it's an upstream struggle. So that's normally when they've crossed over to the money making side and then they are doing it for the money, not for the love. Yeah. 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 I think that there's there's also this idea that that you make it and there's a lot of different ways of making it. I think of um bands I know from back home that are really in the long haul. You know, they're like in the slow slow motion over the years, like gaining credit, gaining following, you know, two bands I know from back home were featured in Rolling Stone recently, um, uh, Mandolin Orange and um, Mipso, and they're both great bands. They've been playing for, I think, over six years, each of them, um, in, in coming out of North Carolina and traveling. They've traveled Europe and so forth, and... Um, when I see how that sort of fame, like slowly put together over a long time, that looks much more attractive to me than when I see like performances, I was telling Robert about this the other day, like performances of early Gaga in like playing piano all over New York at like some venues where like, now I've played, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but like playing and playing and playing and playing and her songs were more complicated you can really tell the range of her voice. She's come back blah. to that now though as well. She yeah, her, seems her like she's in a place where she can. Adhering to labels, etc. phase. Right. But when you and see that, like I'd still rather not do that arc oh, yeah. of success. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather do <clears> the kind <throat> of like trending along, I'm yeah. doing my thing, come come to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think also it comes down to defining what success is to you and yeah. Yeah, success true. is those old boys playing for Guinness. Like it's realizing what you have is good enough and it, I think that a lot of misery comes from the grasp and, and as you say you should be listening for opportunity but you should also just relish in what is the present and you've got a band right now right. and you're enjoying it and as you say it might go in different directions you might end up back in art you might end up as a novelist you might end up sure. in this as country or something right. oh yeah. yeah but it's it's about because i worked with a lot of artists and so many of them were successful paying the bills for making art all day but they had to make compromises along the way to mm. the point where they were always like well so and so is doing better or so and they were not satisfied with the point that they'd got to. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot about being in the present and, and being grateful. And I think mm. it's always quite good to, when you're in a good phase, to almost write to yourself, to a future self, and to explain, mm. yeah, yeah, this yeah. is what you aspire to. So, so it's an affirmation later down the line. Later, yeah. 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 
I think comparison. Sorry, I think um, comparison is a massive. Well, it's a massive human trait. But mm. I think even more so nowadays when you have constant, constant media and social, mm. um, and the ability to pretty much do anything you want um, with or without external help, it's now very easy to compare yourself all the time to this person, that person. Mm -hmm. And I certainly, when I was studying, more so. I think actually now it's a lot easier. But when I was studying, it was so competitive. And so you are, you wake up comparing yourself, knowing you've got a class where 75 people are going to be scrutinising every bow change, mm. and the guy that plays after you, you know that he is technically better, mm. but he's not better in this aspect, but the people will only see this and do it. And so you have this constant, constant, yeah, sort of comparison. Yes. Yeah. And that, for a lot of classical musicians, I think, can wear them down. Mm. Um, and you see a lot finish their degree and just go, and never touch an instrument again. This. this is awful. I don't, I don't want yeah. to do this. And so you, you see that love just yeah. drop off. I saw the same thing in New York when I was there <coughs> doing the kind of cafes and open mic scene. There was one performer after another, and yeah. they're all on point, but they're, they're out there so striving many. to be the best yeah. one of the night. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I was there for a, a three months doing this the first time around, and I came back after a year and went in and started doing it again and it it just didn't feel right it felt like so superficial and at that point I found this quote that I like to remind myself that there's always somebody ahead of you and someone behind you mm. doesn't matter how good you are mm. and I like to remind myself of that because yeah give yourself a break you know definitely and but then you'll also hear or you, it's not even just about how good somebody is. Like one thing you reminded me of is that the music that we play is the music that I want to play. Mm. Whereas there's someone else playing music that's a little bit different and maybe technically, you know, she's hitting notes I can't and they're doing whatever. Um, but what I love so much about this project is that I love our music. Like I would, it's the music that I haven't heard. And so it's the mm. music that I want to make mm. because it's the music that I want to hear. And so far, no one is quite doing, yeah. I mean, people are doing very similar stuff and that's also the music that I like yeah. to hear. And that's fine. But what I'm making mm. is what I, is like filling it a, a void mm. for me. Yeah. And it makes me so happy. That's the best reason to create anything. Yeah. yeah. Well, that seems to be the best way to wrap up the interview as well. Yeah. So I just want to say thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. Kind of learning a bit more about your process and kind of seeing how you collaborate as well. I think that it's got so many crossovers between my background and, but also anyone that's interested in any kind of creative pursuit. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of information in here that will help a lot of people. Can I just add one thing? Of course you can. You had asked us how to reach out to venues, and I just wanted to say it's spread a wide net. Mm. You know where you want to go, like a location, and you reach out to 20 places, some that might might say, sure, on a whim, even though they usually play jazz and blues, some that seem to be playing music that's similar to us, and so it's more likely that they'd say yes. But I would say out of 20 emails, you get maybe five back, and some of those are automated automated replies that are just like, maybe we'll get back to you. And some of them are positive and some of them are negative. Mm. So it's like, don't be discouraged and just reach out. Yeah. 
keep reaching out. There's a really good um, book by Stephen King that's on writing, uh-huh. and it, he talks about his process. And one of the things he says as a marker is to collect re- rejection letters because uh-huh. to collect rejection letters shows that you tried. So as you say, cast a wide net. Yeah. Hundreds of them might say no, but it doesn't matter if five of them say yes and they're the ones that lead to the big thing. Yeah. In terms of finding venues, um, we when we were going to Ireland, reached out to a guy called Hank Wydell who was playing lots of shows in the area. So I googled acoustic music in Ireland and his name came up <laughs> on a few venues. So we reached out to him directly. And that proved to be the best move we could have done for, for that part of our tour yeah. um, because he was able to put us in touch with the right people. So if you want to find venues to play, it's not necessarily going to be the best route to go to the venue directly. Yeah. You know, yeah. To you can see also, who's played there and, and contact them. Yeah. And That's a good tip. And contact musicians that you want to play with, bands that have inspired you over the years, whether they get back to you or not. <clears throat> Again, you know, don't let that discourage you. Like, I had reached out to the band that we went to see last night, the Stray Birds, and um, they hadn't gotten back to me. They were on tour when I reached out to them already, so the chances seemed pretty slim. But then we got to speak with them in person last night and hand them our CDs and um, have a great conversation, and maybe we'll see them in Nashville. Um, Nashville is just awesome. So, (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. It Um, really is. Yeah. It's a learning curve, isn't it, at the end of the day? Yeah. Some things we solidify and they work and you go, right, that's cool, that's good, put that there, don't forget about that. Other things just don't and mm-hmm. I think it will always be like that to a certain point. Obviously we're all home things. Yeah. I think once you accept that's partly uh, sorry, it's a big part of, of how you progress is accepting that. But I think that know, that's for everyone. Yeah. Life yeah. is trial and error, yeah. it's like oh, have yeah. a go at this and <laughs> it might not work and it might Yeah. 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 I think Shakespeare said it in in one of my favourite ways, which is an expectation is the key to all heartache. Mm. (laughs) And if you don't expect, then perhaps you'll be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, Yeah. it's very Buddhist. It is actually, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And on that note, thank you very much. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Big thank you to Rob, Alicia and Isaac for letting me into your flat and to talk a little bit more about your process and introduce me to your music. Um, I've already been a fan of British Americana. Um, I didn't know that that's what it was called, but I've been a fan of folk music for a long time and I definitely like the kind of American spin that they put on their music. Um, Definitely a band to see live. Uh, I'll put all the links in the show notes and you can keep an eye on where they're touring I know they try and get around as much as possible so there's a good chance that they'll be somewhere near you in the near future I just thought I'd take this opportunity to say happy new year and I hope 2018 is a successful creative year for you Um, I've got big ambitions for the podcast and I'm looking forward to sharing my journey with you further and I also will be contacting past interviewees just to see where they're up to in their journey so you can get a taste of what a difference a year makes um, to putting one foot in front of the other and to seeing where that can take you. So I'm really looking forward to catching up with people. I think we'll finish this episode as we began with the cherry tree. Enjoy, take care and keep curious.
One came falling to my feet. Gave it to my love to eat. She said, This little cherry don't taste so sweet. Find me another one I can eat. This little cherry don't taste so sweet. Find me another one I can eat. Sweet. Don't have to taste so sweet. Tell me what it is you need. 